This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Thanks, Rana Malini, for that very warm welcome. It's always really good to come to Bristol. And very good to see all of you. A lot of familiar faces, and it's always very good to see people that I haven't seen before. And it's just great to have a full shrine room. Just you just going on Namo Buddhaya, and there's that nice big sort of Namo Buddhaya sort of big voice behind you. Oh, this is good. Uh, so, as Kena Jyoti mentioned over the last quite a few weeks. Um, in this class, we've been looking at the principle of conditionality in different ways. So I'm the, well, actually, I'm, I'm a sort of a, an, an appendix or an afterthought to that series, really. It's just like it's coming down now. So I thought I could do something about conditionality. And I thought it would be good to do something about conditionality and meditation, partly because that's what I've been uh, quite busy with over the last few years, having done three years meditation retreat. And also because it's important, vital, that we don't just take in the idea of conditionality, but we really make it our own. We really make it how we see things, how we see life. Because it's only if we do that that uh, we'll be in harmony with how things actually are. If everything arises in dependence on conditions and we're not seeing life like that and we're operating as if it doesn't, then there will be friction between how we're seeing life and how life actually is. And that friction is what we call dukkha in in Buddhism, is suffering. Uh, So yeah, I'm going to start just by looking a little bit at the principle of conditionality. And I probably won't say anything that hasn't been covered in the in the course of the last weeks, but I suspect you probably weren't all here every week, and it's always good to have a reminder anyway. So the principle of conditionality is is really central to what the Buddha saw when he gained awakening, enlightenment, uh, by the river Naranjara two and a half thousand years ago. It's been central to the whole way in which Buddhism has been taught and expressed ever since. And, as you'll know, the central way of expressing it is something like all our experience comes about in dependence on particular conditions. And as those conditions change, so our experience changes really, really simple. And you think, well, yeah, I know that. But uh, very often we we don't, if we do know it on some level, we don't apply it to our lives in all sorts of ways. Uh, So yes, everything arises in dependence on conditions, both external and internal. So for instance, what should we take? 
this glass of let's, let's take the let's take this glass of water. Um, this glass of water arises in dependence on all sorts of conditions, direct and indirect. So maybe you could maybe between us we should we could just come up with some of the conditions that have led to us having this experience of this glass of water now. Um, let's make it really easy. Let's start with mm, 50. Okay. Anyone like to suggest one? Get us started. Silajana. Rain. Sorry? Rain. 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 Okay. Yeah, what else? The tap worked. Hmm? The tap worked. The tap worked. Yeah. Somebody made the glass. Sorry? Somebody made the glass. Somebody made the glass. Yeah. Three. Somebody put the tap in so that this rain could come out of the tap and into this glass that somebody made. Yeah? It makes sense for drinking by filtration Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Somebody made the metal that made the tap. Somebody made the metal that made the tap. Yeah, so it's, it's there's chains of conditions. Yeah? You came into being? I came into being. Um, am I am I conditioned for this? Well, you're holding it. Oh, I see. You're holding it. You weren't there. <laughs> mm, yes, yeah, six, six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> in the glass if you weren't there. That's true. Okay, yes, yeah, seven. <laughs> seven. Yeah. What else? Hydrogen bonded with oxygen. Hydrogen bonded with oxygen. Yeah. Okay. Eight. Uh, someone knew where the tap was. Someone knew where the tap was, yes. In fact, in this case, I knew where the tap was. Right, nine. People gave money to put the kitchen in, to put the taps in. Yep. Ten. Uh-huh, eleven. People put the pipes underground to get the water People put the pipes underground, yeah, twelve. Thirteen. Hydrogen and oxygen have to exist in the first place. Fourteen. So where does that lead us? Temperatures right, so it's neither steam nor ice. Fifteen. Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's such a thing as gravity, or the water was shooting everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> the Big Bang created the atoms. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> 18. What about you had a mind that said, I'm thirsty? Yeah, 19. <clears throat> You're a human being, you know that it's water which is available to you. Yeah, yeah. Twenty-one. It came from a reservoir. It came from a reservoir. Twenty-two. There was a pipe. There was a pipe. There was enough water. Yeah. Somebody trained the plumber to fix the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. You have a body that needs water. Yeah. The plumber was born. The plumber was born. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Almost anything you can think of, actually. <laughs> somebody laid the road outside so that you know, the glass could, somebody could drive in the car and sort of put the glasses in the kitchen. They might cycle. <laughs> yeah. But they're probably here. Sorry? Somebody starts like here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. 31. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well you get the idea anyway. <laughs> Thirty-two ain't too bad. Uh, yeah, and we could also do the same, play the same game with not just anything external, like a, a glass of water or any anything you like to name. A mountain, um, spinach, whatever. It's all, it's all the same principle, conditionality. And also it applies internally as well. Yeah. So, the, the mental state that you're enjoying or not enjoying right this moment, equally is, is a product of a whole lot of conditions. Yeah. Going back to, going back to the Big Bang from a certain point of view because we're all affected by external conditions but also the fact that you were born and that you learnt language and you've had a particular upbringing and you know, so on and so forth. All these things are all bringing about this moment now. Uh, so yeah, it's important to really um, keep almost training yourself to think in this way. And once you've got the basic principle of conditionality, then it has all kinds of implications, which again, I think you've probably been exploring over the weeks. So it has implications about uh, what's called the middle way in, in Buddhism. Um, yeah, if something arises in dependence on conditions, like this glass of water, um, you can't say that it's is completely sort of existing by itself because it obviously isn't. We just looked at you know all those conditions, which mean that it's here this moment, yeah, and it only continues to be here this moment. It depends on a whole lot of conditions, like for instance, me deciding not to throw it out the window and smash it, for one, or you know there's suddenly a catastrophic increase in the air pressure or something, then it would just go. Yeah. So it's obviously not kind of inherently existent by itself, from itself, on its own terms. Um, but also it's not completely non-existent either, because there's, you know, there's something here and um, I can drink it. So each experience is supported by all those conditions. If any of the conditions that we came up with for this glass of water had been different, that experience would have been different. So it's like this moment that we're having now, for us to sit here right this moment and have this particular experience depends on a vast number of conditions. It's almost like there's a huge kind of wave of conditions. Um, and if you've ever seen paintings by, the, there's a Japanese painter called Hokusai, who just 
some amazing paintings of these sort of giant waves and sometimes it's just a little boat or just a little sort of foam sort of coming off it. So this moment we're having now is just like a sort of little bit of foam that's sort of been supported by this great wave of conditions, right going back to the Big Bang. And uh, there it is. But then all those conditions, well, they're all in the past. They've all gone. So it's as if there's just this kind of bubble of this moment that's in a way kind of been brought into existence by all that. And it's just there. It's just there. And it's changing and changing and changing all the time. And as I'm talking, moment by moment, it's changing as the conditions keep on changing. So it's quite an extraordinary kind of world that we live in. It's quite sort of magical in a way. Quite, ex- quite amazing. Yeah. And then this moment will support, you know, it's part of the conditions for the next moment and for all the moments after that. So you know, in our lives, you know, for better or worse, you've just heard me talk for the last ten minutes and you know, that will condition everything else that ever happens to, to me and all of us. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite, a, quite a vision, actually. So there's, there's this whole thing about um, the middle way. And then there's also the fact that you can use conditionality in a way that helps and supports you, or you can work against it, as I was saying. So... You can have either um, spiral conditionality where your mind becomes increasingly kind of open and free and relaxed, or you can have what uh, is called cyclic conditionality, where basically your your mind sort of circles round and round and round certain kind of concerns and it's very kind of limited um, in its scope and I think you probably had a talk about um, the Nidana chain, the sort of links that can create that. And you've probably seen um, the wheel of life in Buddhism, which is sort of a picture of uh, how samsara comes about, how uh, the realms of unsatisfactoriness are brought into existence. And at the centre of that, you have a cock a snake and a pig. Yeah, you've seen this? Yeah. Um, so that represents this sort of cyclic conditionality and the, the pig represents uh, a basic kind of unknowing or misunderstanding of our experience. And once you've kind of misunderstood and gone the wrong way, then this dance of the animals, this kind of really painful dance where each one is kind of biting the tail of the one in front and they're all kind of driven round, uh, just continues and continues. So that basic misunderstanding is not seeing conditionality. It's basically seeing things in terms of fixed things. So there's a fixed me here, sort of separate from fixed you out there and there are fixed things that I can kind of control and cling on to and that's not seeing that everything is arising in dependence on conditions that everything is a kind of a flow and a process and although you can 
operate with it. You can never kind of fix it. And, and although there's a sense, yes, of, of me operating in the world, you can never kind of pin that down and find it. Um, all that kind of then leads, that basic misunderstanding leads you to feel, well, yes, I can, I, here am I separate from everything else. And the pain of that then leads you to kind of want to grasp certain things and to push away other things. So you then have the, the cock, which represents craving, and the snake that represents aversion. And these three, they, once, they, once you've got that, that going, it just keeps on going and keeps on going, uh, unless you really see how things are conditioned. And that's, that takes you, takes you out of that. But as long as you have that, there's that sense of, uh, well, that, that dance of the three animals. It's sort of, it's driven. It's a sense of drivenness. And you can see in your own experience, and I can, you know, I can watch in my experience, times where it feels as if I'm just, I'm, I'm being driven along by, by life, being driven along, uh, by my craving and aversion and ignorance. And then there are other times where that isn't happening, at least to anything like the same extent, and there's a kind of an openness and a, and a freshness to life. And my body, I can feel it in my body. If I'm driven, there's a sort of sense of um, my head comes forward and I'm clenching. I can feel it. And then, but there's an alternative way of being, which is if you actually see that everything is conditioned, if you see that everything is a flow and a process, and that you're a flow and a process, so moment by moment, then you can start to uh, relax and open into that flow, and then things start to open out, and that drivenness is no longer there in the same kind of way. That that all starts to starts to relax, and then you have. Uh, this spiral conditionality where awareness of condition of conditionality, awareness of that flow, then starts to uh, take you along with how life is rather than kind of against it or in friction with it. And if you go into meditation and your meditation starts to open out, it's you start to experience like the flow of the breath and the ease of that. So, there are these two ways of operating with conditionality or against it. Understanding it or not understanding it. And in a way, all our practice is about understanding it and going with it, so that, and finding ways of uh, developing within that. So, yeah, it's very important to be seeing life in terms of conditionality, uh, in terms of processes and flow, and seeing how things arise in dependence on conditions. Because uh, if we don't see it like that, when then naturally we tend to live. The tendency of of human beings is to live in a rather clunky, blocky world of things um, and and people that just exist and are as they are. Um, so that 
just, yeah, causes us suffering in all sorts of ways. Because if we really treat things as things and people as kind of unchanging, then when things change and people change, it shocks us. Surprised. So we can understand this to a reasonable extent, but we need to take it really into ourselves, really into our really into our lives, really into our bones. And that's where the whole process of reflection and meditation can help us. Um, it's not enough just to have even kind of good ideas from the Dharma. I remember uh, in the late 80s, I was living out in Spain in, in Gukiloka, one of our retreat centres, and I got news that my father had got cancer. And I'd been a Buddhist at that point for about mm, 14, 15 years, I think, and you know, I'd studied about impermanence, uh, but I hadn't really taken it that deep. I hadn't really kind of reflected on it and I hadn't really meditated on it. So although I had that idea and I could go around you know, telling you, oh yes, everything's impermanent and everything arises in dependence on conditions, uh, that, that news, because I've, I was very uh, close to my father, just went straight through my, my good Buddhist you know, understanding, sort of like an express train, uh, because it just hadn't gone deep enough. It was still somewhere mainly on the level of ideas. So the process is to take what start out as understandings until they're things which we really know, sort of deep in our hearts, deep in our being. And you do that by living these things out in your life, but also by reflecting and meditating. So that's what we're going to be doing mainly this evening. Um, maybe it's worth also saying that with meditation, it's very helpful to see what happens in meditation in terms of conditionality as well. Um, if you feel that your meditation isn't effective, then rather than deciding that you're not cut out to be a meditator, and as one can easily sometimes do, you just have to think, well, okay, in what way haven't I set up the conditions for the, the practice to work? So it may be that uh, your posture is not, not kind of giving you much of a chance to practice. Uh, you just have to see what, what qualities aren't there, what's, what's missing. We'll bring those in. We'll explore that a bit more as we go on. Um, seeing things in terms of conditionality also means that your whole life conditions what happens in meditation, and meditation conditions your life. Uh, yes, yeah, so our choices, moment by moment, leave, well, it's as if we're leaving a legacy all the time to the person that we're going to become. It's like 
you know, what we do now, as I say, that will subtly condition everything that happens from here on in. And, uh, yeah, it's good to be aware of that. It's like, uh, yeah, so for instance, I'm, I'm a bit tired this evening and not as fresh as I could be talking to you because last night I got very involved in reading something and got to bed a bit late and I didn't get enough sleep. And that, you know, the me that was reading the book didn't really kind of appreciate that they were going to leave a legacy for the me that was going to have to you know, talk this evening to you. And, uh, yeah, so here I am, so a bit, a bit dopey. Uh, so, yes, just bearing in mind the fact that things arise in dependence on conditions and that what you do now will leave a legacy for the you that's coming up is, uh, is really helpful in all sorts of ways. Um, yeah, and, and in terms of meditation, it's one of the, one of the things that's really helpful is to Yes, you can work in meditation. You can think, well, have I got the right conditions to meditate? What haven't I produced? You know, could I develop a little bit more metta here so my heart was a bit more open so that the practice would go better or whatever it may be? Um, but you can also look at your life in terms of helping your meditation practice. So, for instance, Anything that your mind takes in during the during the day, in a way, has to be digested somewhere along the line in meditation. So, if you watch a violent movie, for instance, um, you probably find some of the images from that sort of you know, popping up in your in your meditation the next morning. And it's incredibly difficult these days because we all have you know, so much coming at us. In life, in all sorts of different ways, we're sort of bombarded with you know, people trying to give us all kinds of information and trying to sell us you know, anything they can. Um, so we can still do what we can not to take in too much, and at least have occasional times where where we just kind of create space where we're not taking in anything. Um, I remember years ago. I'd been uh, living at a retreat centre in Wales and I went up to London and I was sitting in a bus in Oxford Street and I felt really uncomfortable and I tried to work out why it was. And then I realised that it's like there was nowhere I could look where there wasn't stuff to read. And having been you know, doing quite a lot of meditation at that point, that may be quite sort of sensitive. Um, it was as if all these things that I was reading were like people talking to me, which is what they were indirectly. So I was sitting there kind of surrounded by all these people, you know, in the newspaper saying, oh, do you know what's just happened in Bosnia or wherever it was? And, you know, you can't smoke on this bus and you know, these jeans in this shop just down here, they're only 15 quid and da-da-da. It was like... I was just sort of taking in all this, all these things, and uh, I sometimes think that, you know, what we what we take in in terms of food, you can sooner or later you kind of see the effects of that, you know, in terms of your waistline. Um, 
if we could sort of see our kind of mental state in terms of the sort of diet that we eat mentally and that we have to digest, maybe we'd think, hmm, I really wanted to take in all that stuff. Because it's quite easy to take in the sort of mental equivalent of junk food. And, uh, yeah, and all that stuff has to be processed. It has to be digested. Your mind needs a little time to to take all that and, and digest it. So sometimes the easiest way to have a good meditation is to set up the conditions before you get anywhere near your meditation cushion by not taking in certain things so that you don't have to kind of digest them and process them when you're you know, trying to follow the breath, say. So, yes, it's good to think in terms of setting up conditions for meditation and within meditation, looking to see whether you've got the conditions you need for the practice to be effective. Okay, we have done enough talking for now. Let's, I'd like to go a little bit further, and traditionally Buddhism talks about if you really want to take something deeply into yourself, firstly, a piece of Dharma, say, firstly you need to hear it, listen to it, which can, so you take it in, you know what it is, but then you have to make it your own. And first you make it your own by reflecting on it, and then you make it your own by meditating on it, which really kind of takes it into the depths of your mind. (coughs) So I'd like to do a little bit of both of those as we're going through the next chunk of the evening. Um, So yes, I'd like to do a little bit of reflection, and then we'll have a few minutes break, and then we'll we'll do some meditation, which I'll guide you in. Uh, So reflection on conditionality involves turning turning over that uh, that understanding, but it's not it's not just thinking about it. And there's some people who don't get on very well. They don't like the idea of reflecting because they think, well, it's just kind of more, you know, my brain churning away. But real reflection actually involves the whole of you. It's a bit like you take the the idea, to call it that, of conditionality, and you bring it in relation to the whole of yourself. So, yeah, sure, you can think about it, you can reflect, you think, okay, well, as we did a little bit, yes, okay, so uh, in order for uh, that glass of water to be there, there's all these different things, that in a way we were reflecting on the glass and reflecting on conditionality. But what we really want is for it to go deeper, is to bring all of ourselves into relation with it. So as we're reflecting, sure we can be thinking, but we can be using our imagination, uh, which again in a way we, we were to some extent, we kind of, you, know, you imagine the Big Bang just for a fraction of a second, and uh, you imagine you know, that person cycling to the centre with their glasses for, and so on. Um, yeah, maybe you, you know, I was imagining that kind of wave of conditions which just produced that kind of moment of, of 
know, that bubble of this this very moment now. Yeah. So you can use your whole kind of image faculty, and then you you bring your body into it too. Um, your body's a real source of wisdom, and as you're turning something over, you can notice your body's response to things. It's like uh, if you're on the right track, it's almost like your body. There's there's a sense of an opening, often in can be around your heart center. Can be different for different people. It's like if I, if I'm sitting in a room with somebody and they say something which feels like it's really true and they've really spoken something deeply about themselves, as if I can feel that there's a sort of downward movement of my energy. It's like something changes in my body in response to that, and I've I've learned to trust that. So yeah, you can sort of check in what's with what's happening with your body as you're as you're reflecting, and yeah, then you can also. Yeah, have your emotions involved. You have your heart open to it. So as you're reflecting, uh, yeah, you might feel excited. You might feel uh, a bit kind of uneasy, like you're not quite sure where this is leading and you're not quite sure where you want to go there. Uh, but you, you know, just keep turning towards whatever you're experiencing as you're reflecting and include just include the whole of yourself. So it's like you're bringing all your experience to bear and you can bring your whole life experience to bear on things. So you can think about, yeah, if I'm thinking about impermanence and conditionality, I can think, well, yes, there was my dad and then he did get cancer and then he did die and that's, and that's part of my experience too. So, and yeah, all, all these different things. So it's as if you bring what starts off as an abstract idea, you know, some, something that you can put up on a flip chart, and, and you turn it into something which really means something to you in your life, and you know, something that you, you, you really test out too. Um, yes, you've, it's like to start with, when I was first getting involved with the Dharma, um, I felt after a while I felt very devoted to it, and I thought, oh, it's really beautiful. It's it's wonderful that, uh, yeah, that human beings have kind of discovered this path to awakening, and and so I felt very devoted to it. But in a way, I treated it a bit like some kind of precious vase or something that I almost didn't want to risk really testing in case it turned out, you know, not to quite be real or you know I found a I found a fault in it and so yes I was very devoted to it but I didn't really want to test it and uh, but then as time went on I started thinking well no you know if the Dharma's really true if it's really the truth of life then it should stand up to whatever I can sort of throw at it you know any any kind of testing I like it should be able to withstand that. So I kind of, after one day, I sort of picked up my kind of precious vase of the Dharma and I started you know, trying to see whether I could smash it or not. And when I couldn't, that was when I really, you know, my, my, uh, my confidence in it really started to grow. Uh, so, yeah, reflection also involves, you know, being prepared to ask difficult questions and, yeah, really sort of think, is that right? Could it be like that? Yeah, can I find something that isn't subject to conditions? What would that be? What could that be? 
just really kind of being prepared to do that. So you, you lay the whole thing on the line and you bring all your life experience into relationship with it. And if, if you find, okay, it holds firm and it holds true, then you've got something really wonderful that, you know, you've got another bit of certainty, if you like, about life. That's, uh, well, and there aren't many certainties about life other than the fact that we're going to grow old and die one day. You know, that's, that's about all we've got that we really know for sure. And we tend to really hide away from those, which is kind of peculiar, really. The, one, the only things we know about, we, we tend to duck. Uh, so we're, we're going to do some reflection. And as, if, as we do it, yeah, bring all of yourself into it. And the other thing is that if you find yourself... It's like you're, you're, you're thinking and reflecting, and then at a certain point it can be as if it drops onto a slightly deeper level, and it's, it's almost as if you see the truth of it more deeply, or you kind of go, oh, it's almost as if you know, what you knew on one level has now gone down another floor of, the, uh, of your elevator to a, you know, more into your heart, or more into your, into your guts even, right, into your being. So if you find that happening, don't just keep reflecting. Just sit with that experience. Just let it be there. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 